Christmas is a time for families, isn't it? Of um, coming together, sharing, travelling, buying presents, exchanging gifts. That's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about Jesus. It's his birthday. It's remembering him and all that he has done for us. I'm going to pray, then I'm going to take a few minutes tonight just to talk about that story of what is Christmas really about. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we can have to come together on Christmas Eve, the night before the celebration of the arrival of your Son into our world, the Redeemer, the one who came to pay the price so that we could be put right with you. We pray tonight that you would help us not only to remember, uh, but perhaps to understand and to understand more clearly, more deeply, in order that we can make a personal response to it. Thank you for this annual opportunity and this reminder, and we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, <clears throat> once upon a time, long time ago, the story of the Bible was very well known. Everybody in the West certainly had a Bible, for many families, it was the only book they had. Some families had two books. They would have the Bible and they would have Pilgrim's Progress. But we live in a different world. We live in a world where, for many people, they may not even have a Bible, but there are hundreds of channels on TV. There are thousands of places on the internet. There are a multitude of internet or uh, computer games. Uh, there are lots of other sources of entertainment and of information. With the result that people today don't really read the Bible that much. Don't know the story. And even if they had a Bible and they read the Bible, they don't tend to read it all the way through. They don't know the story of Christmas, which is what the Bible ultimately is pointing to, the story of God and his plan of salvation and how he's going to make us right with him. So tonight I would like to take us some time to talk about that. Christmas is about majesty in a manger. It's about the arrival of God's deliverer, his redeemer, his rescuer, who's going to save us from the problems or the situation that we find ourselves in. Every year you may have the opportunity, particularly if you have children or grandchildren, where you can watch the, the nativity scene. <clears throat> it begins, Mary and Joseph walk on stage and the really expensive productions, they got a donkey. And they arrive at a place and this baby is born. What is going on? What is that all about? Next slide, Josh. Christmas. What is actually going on? Why do we remember his birth? Why is that significant? What's so special about Mary and Joseph, the shepherd, the angels, the star and the wise men? Well, to understand Christmas, 
this annual reminder, this annual public holiday that we enjoy, we have to go back a little bit. We'll have to go back to the beginning. So let's go back there, just quickly. We'll need to go back to a garden, which is where we begin. Where the first man, the first woman, who are perfect, no sin, no problems, no issues, right with each other, right with God. But there in that garden, in this place of perfection, a choice is made under the influence of another one, the evil one, the serpent, Satan. But Adam and Eve chose to doubt God, to disobey God, to rebel against God and to seek freedom, seek their own way, seek to want to do their own thing. And instead of being cut free, in fact, they find they are cut loose from a close and intimate relationship with a true and living God. As a result of that, we take steps down and we end up finding ourselves slave to our own desires, our own wants, our own wants, our own... Um, we want our own way. We still do. That's true for all of us. There's not one of us not affected by it. We have become preoccupied with self, what the Bible calls sin. Just like a kite which has been cut free from the string which is holding it, there may be a sense of freedom, but eventually it will plummet to the earth and crash. So we found the same. We have plummeted. And now we are enslaved and we can't free ourselves from it. We're all the same. If we need salvation, if we need rescuing, it can't come from any one of us. We're all tainted by it. We're all incapable of helping one another. So who can rescue us? Well, that's God's plan. He was going to send someone into the world. God had a promise way back in the beginning. In fact, right to that very first couple, Adam and Eve, way back in the garden, when they made their choice to eat from the fruit, to disobey and rebel against God, to go their own way, God came to them and said in their hearing, I'm going to send someone into the world. He'll be the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. It's an unusual expression that probably means... He'll be a descendant that'll be special born, virgin born. And he will crush this evil one. He will set you free. He will restore what is broken. God's promise was to send someone. Next slide. That was God's promise. And God's promise works out through God's plan, which is he eventually, over centuries, chooses a person, Abraham, and says to Abraham, through your son, I will bless all of the nations of the world. That was God's plan. Abraham had a son, son of miraculous birth, Isaac. But it wasn't Isaac. 
we fast forward the plan a little bit through the whole story of the Old Testament, it's not Isaac, it's not Jacob, it's not Judah, but it's through Judah, it's through the line of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Judah. And eventually you come to a man called David, who was the king of Israel, who was born in Bethlehem. And God says, it's through that descent, through a son of Abraham, who was a son of David, who will be born in Bethlehem. And if you read Daniel, then God even gives the time frame, a window. So now you've got of this family line, in this place, at this time. God's plan being worked out. So if we fast forward that story, then we find ourselves at Christmas and we find ourselves with a woman, Mary. Next slide. Mary was a lady who was chosen by God, a young girl, 13, 14. We don't know her age, but she was young, 13, 14, 15, something like that. That was typical for that period of time. She was visited by an angel, Gabriel. You might know the story. And surprisingly, incredibly, she was submissive and willing and obedient. Lord, whatever you have said, let it be to me according to your will. What an incredible response. Well, she was engaged, next slide, to a guy called Joseph. And he wasn't happy about the news that she was pregnant because he knew it wasn't him. But then he had a visit from the same angel who said to him, actually, this is something very special that God is doing. And at the end of that visitation, he, like her, was just obedient. Did what God told him to do. He married Mary immediately. Through all of this, you find that God is at work. That which he promised hundreds of years before in the garden to Adam and Eve, that which he said to Abraham, that which he was working out through centuries, he was overseeing, he was orchestrating, he was fulfilling his promise. God was at work, and he still is. But at this point in time, 2,000 years ago, there was a Caesar in Rome. His name is Augustus, who had no idea what God was doing. But he had a plan, and his plan was that he wanted more money and he wanted more soldiers. So through his Roman Empire, he said, I want everybody to be counted who's over the age of whatever, 20, and I want them to go back to the place where they were born. I want them to register. I want their career, their occupation, and I want them to pay taxes. That was Augustus in Rome, which then meant that Mary and Joseph, who were both of the line of David, had to travel to Bethlehem. We don't know how pregnant Mary was, whether she was four months, five months, six months, seven months, eight months, but it was getting difficult, so it would have been an uncomfortable journey. And we aren't told they had a donkey, but every nativity scene has a donkey in it, so... Yeah, she rode a donkey. But they were probably alone. The Bible didn't say they were alone, but the Bible didn't say that anybody else was with them either. But the sense is that 
they were alone. They rode the donkey, they travelled 80 miles south, 100 k's, kilometres south, to this little village, Bethlehem, which is a very little village. 20, 30, 40 homes. Small. But now overcrowded because of Augustus' decree. Wherever you're born, you have to go home. So now everything is booked out. And they arrived, and maybe they arrived late. And when they got there, the place where they were going to stay or planning to stay, somebody else is there. There's no room for them. You've got to go somewhere else. Where did they go? Nobody knows. Was it a stable? Was it a cave? Don't know. Wherever it was, it was where animals were kept. Because the Bible says to us that that night it was time for Mary to give birth to her son. And she did. The Bible also says that there was no one, well that implies, no one else is with them. Joseph is there and Mary is there. But if it's anything like the first, the birth of my firstborn, my son, the doctor in the labour ward said to me, you okay? I said, yes. I said, why? He said, because your freckles look green. <laughs> How about you go outside and sit down out there and we'll let you know when this is finished. And so being an obedient person, <laughs> I did. A little while later, I was informed that my wife had given birth to our firstborn, who was a son. Shame. Was Joseph like that? Don't know. But the Bible says that when Mary had given birth to Jesus, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. What was he doing? You know, I suspect he was like me. He's out in the labour ward <laughs> waiting to be told that everything is okay. There's nobody else. There's no midwives. There's nobody else to help. There's no family members. She did it. What a night. Months before, Gabriel says, you're going to have a baby. He's going to be the Messiah. She went and visited the cousin Elizabeth and she said, the mother of my Lord is visiting me. Joseph had the same story. And now months later, she gives birth and silence. Wondering, did I hear right? What's going on? There's a star in the sky. Did they see it? Probably not. They're inside. But the star was seen from afar. Somebody saw it. And then in near Bethlehem, there were some shepherds out in the field, probably teenagers, who knows how old. And suddenly an angel appears to them and gives incredible news, joined by other angels, and they're singing and praising the very thing that Mary had been told by Gabriel, by Elizabeth, confirmed for her that Jesus is the promised one. Majesty in a manger. King of kings, the son of God, born, human, in a manger. 
Now think with me. This is the risk and the danger for us. We like the baby in a manger. It's adorable. But that's the danger of Christmas. Because the child who is born and is in a manger is not simply to be adored as a cute little baby. It's rather the significance of his birth, of who he is. He's more than a cute little baby. He's the king. He's the one that God promised who would come through Abraham, through David, in Bethlehem, in the time frame that Daniel prophesied. Isaiah says that unto us a son is born, unto us a king is given. Government will be upon his shoulder. He came to rule. In fact, Daniel, our Bible reading tonight, that Ryan or Rochelle or whoever they were read to us. Oh, you can't read that. Can you? You've got better eyesight than I have. To him, authority and honour and sovereignty is given in order that he might rule the world. All nations, all languages will obey him. His kingdom is eternal. His rule never end. He's the king. He's the king who came into the world to not just be born, but to grow up and to live and to die for us. If you read the Gospels, then you'll realise that he is the king over nature and over diseases, over death, over sin. He's the king who is over us. And ultimately, that's the key question. Well, he was the king. He is the king. He's the eternal son of God. Is he your king? That's the question. Not the babe in Bethlehem. Does he rule and reign in my life? That's the key question. The nativity was a real event. Happened in space-time history. The Gospels clearly link it with not only geographical places, but also with historical personages. But the nativity is not the end. It's the beginning Jesus coming to our world, being born, is simply so that he can grow up, so that he can live a sinless life. Over the manger forms the shadow of the cross. The cradle leads to the cross. In fact, in some churches, they have a Christmas tree. In some churches, they get a a, a real, you know, fir tree. And they bring it in at Christmas time and they remember the birth of Jesus And then over the following months, they take the branches off the fir tree and they form that into a cross. The Christmas tree becomes a cross, which is quite logical and theologically correct, that the cradle becomes the cross. That the child who is born is the king who dies for us. In the garden, Adam and Eve made a choice which led to us being self-focused, sinful, and we couldn't rescue ourselves 
but God promised that he would come and that he would put it right and he has that's what Christmas is about Jesus was born so that he would die for us for you to pay the penalty for our sin for your sin the promised one has come the Redeemer is born. What we need to do at Christmas is to receive him, to acknowledge that we're not right with God. We, like Adam and Eve, have made sinful choices that we can't rescue ourselves, but that God has a plan. And what we need to do is to receive Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sin, to be Lord and King of our life in order that we can have life now and eternal life when we leave here. That's what Christmas is about. It's remembering Jesus, the one who came in order to die so that we could be rescued. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this annual reminder that you love us, that you care for us, that you want us back in a relationship with yourself. And to that end, you sent Jesus, the Saviour, the King, the one who came, born at Christmas, who lived a perfect life, who died on Calvary's cross in order to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead, who now offers us forgiveness and eternal life. Lord, help us not only to understand, but help us to respond and to receive Jesus as our saviour, as our rescuer. That this Christmas might in fact be the beginning of forgiveness and of eternal life for each of us. We ask and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I don't know where you're at, but you might have prayed that prayer tonight. And if you did, then I'd love to talk with you at the end of this service. I'll be here. I'm not going home until everybody's gone. And if you prayed that prayer, or if you want to know more about him, then come and talk to me. Talk to one of our other pastors who are here tonight. Um, talk to us. We'd love to pray with you and to help you. Hope you have a great night's sleep. Hope you have a lovely day tomorrow. Hope you get the Christmas presents you wanted. But the Christmas present that God wants you to have is him, Jesus. Open your hearts to him. God bless you, everybody. Let's stand and we're going to sing together. Let's stand together. Oh, we've got a video. Sit down. <laughs> hey, neighbor, you need a hand? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Don't worry, I'm coming. Santa's little helper's on his way. Hey, ha <laughs> ha, it's 
the star that'll guide Chris Kringle to your chimney. Good move, my man. Oh, uh, no, it's the uh, star, star of Bethlehem. Right, yeah, Bethlehem, North Pole. Same thing, right? Oh. Nope, uh, no, uh, 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 sorry. It's the, uh, the star that, you know, the Magi. Right, Magi. What is the Magi? I found something on the web about emojis. Check it uh, out. Uh, the Magi? The, uh, the, the wise men who came to see the Messiah. The, the Christ? The, uh, Son of God. Then he would grow up to become Santa. No, no, no. He's gonna grow up and he's gonna pay for the sins of the world. Guess that'd be a pretty hefty price tag, huh? Hmm. Yeah. That's why it's called Christmas. Christmas. Well, I wish you would've told me all this before I spent my Christmas bonus and all that junk over there. Thanks a lot. Merry Christmas. No, I, I... You look like my Santa! Well, there we go. On that note, let's stand together and sing our final song, Hark the Herald.
sit down. We're not quite done. 66 books by 40 authors, the Bible. Look into it. It's a good read. Thank you, Father, for this time this evening. Thank you for your son. Came as a little baby boy. Grew up 30 years later, started teaching, and then hung on a cross to save us from our sins. We thank you, Lord, for his obedience. But, Father, you desire for us to have more than anything, to have fellowship with you, and that's because of Jesus. Bless our holiday time. Keep people safe as they travel and bring us all back together in 2017. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. We're going to watch Mary, Did You Know, again. I love music. It speaks to me, and this is a great song. We want you to go out with that tonight. Mary, did you know that your baby